Hello and welcome to Red Dumb Restricted Podcast. This is episode 20. It's Saturday, the 5th of June, 2021. Um, so before we get cracking, um, as ever, my name's Dan Club and I'm with co-host Dave Comerford. And um, so I'll check in with Dave to begin with. Dave, how are you enjoying the end of the uh, football season for about seven more days? I am enjoying it, yeah, but I'm I'm also kind of looking forward to the Euros, possibly against my better judgment. Um, mm. But I, I do think having the the supporters back will hopefully offset some of the issues that there'll be around fatigue um, and those sort of consequences of the of the season that we've just had. So I think it's yeah. still going to be a, a good spectacle and hopefully a, one of those enjoyable summer tournaments. Yeah, I mean, we've kind of glossed over international football on the pod quite a few times between us. Um, but I am kind of looking forward to the Euros myself. I think more so, like you mentioned with supporters, I really enjoyed the playoffs. Like I was watching Barnsley against Swansea and I was fully engrossed in it because having supporters back in those games just made a massive difference. Um, a bit of a special episode this week for you. and um, We've gone away from the Liverpool-centric field for a change. We've got Tom Young, um, Man City writer for Vavil with us, um, and we're going to do a bit of a debate, and the age-old debate is becoming, um, between Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola. So first, I'll introduce Tom and ask how you are and how you're enjoying, um, well, being Premier League champions, I suppose. Yeah, I'm good, mate. Yeah, I'm good. It's a bit of a bit of a weird one, isn't it? I think a couple of weeks ago, if you'd have asked me, I always enjoyed my time as a City fan, I'd say, yeah on top of the world and everything's going well and then yeah the uh, the Champions League final last last week has added a bit of a, a sour taste to what has been quite a quite a successful season but but no we'll we'll take the Premier League and uh and yeah back in uh, back in Manchester where it belongs so so we're all good hmm. on that front. The start as you mean to go on there where it belongs. Um it's an interesting one isn't it because Obviously, you'll take the Premier League, that goes without saying, doesn't it, in many ways? And I, I know quite a few City fans and, you know, a lot of them, probably like yourself, were just kind of made up to be where you are now. Um, whereas, from a Liverpool perspective, it's not that we're spoiled, but we kind of are of our history. But we look at City now and go, God, I bet they'd love the Champions League. But realistically, like you say, you've won the League Cup. I mean, 20 years ago, the League Cup, you'd have bitten someone's hand off for that, let alone the Premier League as well. So... It's an interesting balance, but we will we will get into it. So, like I say, the the main topic of discussion is Pep Guardiola against Jurgen Klopp. So, I'll come straight back to you, Tom. Um, and first and foremost, we'll start off at the most general point. What makes you think that Guardiola is better than Jurgen Klopp? I just think Guardiola for me has has revolutionised the way that football is played, and I think. Klopp's done a tremendous job, uh, did a tremendous job at Dortmund, did a, has done an even better job at Liverpool. And there's, there's no questioning his ability as a manager, the style of football he plays and everything like that is, is top, his top drawer is around, um, in and amongst the best 
the best in the world comfortably. But I just think the way that that Guardiola has has changed the the way that football is seen, the way that the way that teams look at, or the way that his teams anyway look at playing the game. Um, I think he's yeah, he is sort of the pioneer for that next generation of football for me. Um, away from you know the the four four twos, the the two up top, the long balls, the things that we've seen for years. Um, and Guardiola has just been the 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 man for me who has who has taken football to to that next stage. And yeah, I think if we're looking at them as as managers rather than specifically City and and Liverpool's managers, I'd, I'd say that's why I'd, I'd I'd take Guardiola as as the better overall manager over Klopp. I think in terms of what they've done with the two respective clubs, I think it's very very similar. Um, I think obviously Guardiola has won more trophies with City than Klopp's yeah. won with Liverpool, but he's inherited a better squad. He's inherited more money. He's inherited a bigger transfer budget, of course. Um, mm-hmm. Klopp's come in and mm-hmm. won a Champions League, won a league, and and done tremendously well as well. So I don't think I think it's hard to split them um, yeah. as who has had sort of a better tenure. I think obviously the the Liverpool season finishing third was was great for Liverpool from where they were. Well, at the start of the season, if if you'd have been offered no trophies and a third place finish, I think you'd have, you'd have had that as a disappointment. So I think that's sort of put a bit of a dampener on it on that front. But again, he's he's shown he's he's able to to fight his squad back into into what was a very important third place finish. Looking ahead to transfers and moving on to what looks to be a very competitive title race next season. So. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there's a massive amount to split them. I just think Guardiola's sort of just that little bit ahead in the way that he's uh, he's revolutionised the game for me. Yeah, I think I'll get Dave's thoughts on it in a second. I think in terms of style of football, that's probably the one thing I will always kind of concede in terms of the argument. I mean, it is a bit of a, a thankless argument in a way because they're different and you know, they're both excellent at what they do. Let's get it out there straight away. Like They're both... You know, they're probably the two best managers in the world for me. I mean, looking at Tuchel and people like that probably involved in that conversation. But for me right now, it is Guardiola and Klopp. Um, so it is a difficult argument to have, but obviously we'll go into the more detailed elements of it in a moment. But first, I will come to you, Dave. Um, Tom's give a pretty strong case there. Um, and quite a balanced one, I must say, as well. But Dave, um, where are you? Where do you sit on it, I suppose? Again, like just at the outset, I think... You've got to say, like, these two are both world-class managers and mm. and all-time Premier League greats as well. Like, in my in my opinion, Ferguson is is still quite a way clear of both of them, just in the sense that he sort of became like synonymous with the football club in a way, um, and became you know he's everything to Manchester United and to win thirteen Premier League titles in in one tenure is. Phenomenal. So I do think he's almost in a bit of a class of his own in a way, certainly mm-hmm. at this stage. But in terms of that group behind him, I think the stock of, of these two managers is always rising, really. Um, and I think they've they've elevated the league. I know I know Tom mentioned about the style of play, um, and that's certainly part of this. But you know the the sort of relative quality of the Premier League now has I can't really recall a time in my lifetime when. It's been so strong, and I think those two have played a huge part in that. And they've also made each other better as well. Um, you see, you see them 
mention that in interviews quite often. And, you know, just before I get into my sort of judgments on it, I just want to mention something else as well. Like, you know, there was a City fan I got in touch with about about coming on and, and he said that ranking one above the other doesn't really serve a purpose. Um, so I say a couple of things in response to that. First of all, you know, as we'll hopefully find, like it's a really interesting debate to have in the first place um, because there's several layers to it. And the second, like the way we rate players and managers in football is by comparing them to their counterparts. Like that's the only way mm. you get a sense of how good someone is. Um, and that's how you can really appreciate the greatness of of these uh, managers that we're witnessing. So I do think it's a conversation worth having, even if we can't reach a, a definitive answer and we'll have to be sort of balanced and see both sides of it. But in terms of my judgment, I think, you know, the stylistic point is is a valid one. Whether that's what we should use to determine their sort of managerial achievements is up for debate in itself. Um, but it does, you know, in terms of legacy, it's, a, it's certainly huge. I think, there's two key things it comes down to really. The first of them is the resources. It, you know, obviously it's been mentioned already. Um, there's a there's quite a big disparity there. You know, you just, everyone knows about the, the net spend stats and stuff and the amount of backing that Pep has had. You know, the achievements are still hugely impressive, but that's a vital piece of context. And there's probably a lot of managers out there who feel they could have maybe not won as many trophies, but still won a lot with that kind of backing. And the second thing is the fact that Guardiola hasn't been able to win the Champions League since um, his, his Barcelona days. And, to, you know, to focus on his failure through that Man City, like, to, if you look back through the years, there was not only, obviously it was the first final recently, but you look at that, you look at the game against Monaco, mm. I think, you know, that was 16-17, I think. Maybe City weren't fully ready to, to win it then, but, you know, every year since, you know, it was, uh, we beat them in 17-18 and we only finished fourth in the league. I know we were, that was probably the height of our heavy metal football days, but even still, there was a huge points disparity between us. 18-19, obviously there was Spurs, which is, you know, that was pretty inexcusable really to, to lose that tie, um, even under Pochettino and then Leon. And obviously followed by Chelsea. So it's not only the fact that Guardiola hasn't won a Champions League at Man City. It's almost, I look at it and think, he could have won multiple Champions Leagues, really. Um, and it's really, you know, we, if we talk about his legacy being enhanced by the stylistic um, changes he's, he's implemented and pioneered, then I think there's this thing nagging against his legacy in a way, and it is the struggles in the Champions League recently. Yeah, I think the Champions League is a point we'll definitely um, definitely touch upon um, in a second with Tom. Just to throw my unsurprising hat into the ring, if you like. Obviously, I, I, I get I get Tom's side of the argument. I just think I'm a bit of a, um, a football purist in a way. And if you look, you touched upon the net spend sort of stats. And I know we can get carried away with this sort of thing, especially as Liverpool fans. But, you know, you're talking a £440 million sort of disparity in the, in the last five years, which is which is just crazy. Like, for me, we all know as Liverpool fans, like where FSG sit in terms of their spending. And a lot of Liverpool fans don't like it. But at the same time, Klopp's just kind of got on with it. And he is 
literally the perfect man to do that job. And I just think if you gave Klopp Guardiola's situation, he'd run with it and he'd make a huge success out of it. Whereas on the other hand, I think if you gave Guardiola Klopp situation in terms of spending power, I just don't see the same sort of success levels as, as Klopp's managed to achieve with Liverpool. And I think that's a big telltale point in the argument. Um, I think Guardiola himself has kind of admitted previously, potentially tongue-in-cheek, that a big key to the success he's had, certainly a City, has been the amount of money he's had to spend. Like, I think he's literally come out and said those words. Like I say, it probably is. And he's a genius, but it probably is very tongue-in-cheek. But at the same time, you know, people go on about him taking the domestic cup seriously, which Liverpool haven't done necessarily. But it's very easy to take domestic cup seriously when you can name a different side and it's still unbelievable. Like we name a different side against someone in the FA Cup fourth round and it, it's a shell of a team, you know, where a city do it and it's still good enough to finish in the top six in the Premier League, if not higher. So we're talking different sort of levels, in my opinion, on that. Um, but I will, I will come straight to you, Tom, with the Champions League sort of question. Um, and the legacy, that's kind of leaving at the minute, I suppose, because he's been accused of overthinking things in the Champions League and he's probably done it again in the final. So he's yet to win it since leaving Barcelona. So where does that sit in terms of, if he was to leave tomorrow, you know, for your sake, I hope he doesn't. Um, obviously, he's been a success, but would not win the Champions League be a big mark against him? Um, yeah, for sure. I think it's a difficult one because... If you ask 100 City fans what they'd rather win, the Premier League or the Champions League, mm. I, the majority of them would tell you they'd rather win the Premier League, myself included. And, and that's not just because we've not won the Champions League. I think that the Premier League at the start of every season is a trophy that you want to win. It's a, it's a competition you invest the most time in. It's 38 games across an, an eight, nine-month season. It's, not an e it's a really difficult competition to win. Whereas... I'm not saying the Champions League is easier to win, but mm. you look at it's a look of the draw. You can you can get get through the Champions League, in my opinion, easier than you can the Premier League. But then also on on that same front is it's a lot easier to mess up in the Champions League because one one bad game, one bad tie, and you're out. And that's what has cost us in like um like David said, you look at the year we were knocked out by Monaco, we went we went uh, into the second leg with a two-goal lead and, and Guardiola um, started with, with one holding midfielder and went to go and win the game and there was no need to do that. We get knocked out and then we got we got panned by your lot the year after. We were never in that tie. And hmm. like again, like you say, Liverpool weren't weren't the force that they are now back then and and realistically we went into that tie as favourites. And hmm. then you look at the Spurs year, the run that we had to the final that year, if we'd have beaten Spurs, I think it was like Schalke, Spurs, Ajax, and then and then Liverpool, it would have been to win through the knockout stages. And as much as I, I big up Guardiola, his revolutionising, uh, the way he's revolutionised football and, and his, the way he's, he's pioneered the game and stuff like that, he, he, he has overthought things. He overthought Chelsea last week. Yeah. Um, and, and again, you just mentioned the, the, the strength of the squad and that's helped us so much in these cup competitions. But I think that's what essentially held us back at the weekend was that Guardiola's trying to fit all these match-winning players into a team and he's overthought it, played Gundogan as a six where he's so ineffective. Mm -hmm. um, his, his Gundogan playing at the eight this season has been one of the reasons we went on that crazy winning run because even when he's not scoring goals, 
his late runs into the box where he causes problems and uh, for defenders. If defenders have to be wary where he is, playing as a six in that final, he couldn't he couldn't impact the game whatsoever. Sterling has had a torrid six months or torrid mm. turn since the turn of the year. He's been awful, and somehow he buys a start in a Champions League final. And yeah, if if we do say Guardiola wants to leave tomorrow or whenever Guardiola does eventually leave the club, if we've not picked up a Champions League trophy as much as we may leave with three, four, maybe five league titles and a plethora of league cups and community shields and, and the works. I think the owners have made no secret of their desire to win the Champions League. They've said from day one that that is a trophy that they've won and they brought Guardiola in to do exactly that because for me at the time when we got Guardiola and, and possibly still he is the best manager in world football and if he can't take a squad this talented and win like you say, I think one European Cup or one Champions League, great. But but like you guys have already both said, we should be talking two, three mm. European Cups by the time mm. he leaves. And one one may ultimately be a little bit of a disappointment. And so, yeah, he's, I think, for him to establish himself as, because like you say, he never won it at Bayern Munich either. And he should have won it with that squad too. And he never even got to a final with Bayern Munich. So, yeah, for him to establish himself as, or to put himself in parallel with the likes of, of Sir Alex Ferguson, he's got to be winning the Champions League more and he's got to be doing more um, on the European front. Uh, and unfortunately, he just hasn't done that yet. But th- thankfully, or hopefully, I should say, there's, there's still time for him to turn that round, I see. Yeah, I just, I just want to jump in there, Dan. Um, Go on. Just because what Tom was saying, like I, I fully agree, really, in terms of how when Guardiola was... Was brought in. I think City had, City had already won the the Premier League under Mancini and won it as well under Pellegrini. So when he came in, it was like obviously turning City into into a force. Um, you know this huge football and heavyweight really, um, which he has done with some of the Premier League sides. You know he's built especially the the team that got 198 points over over two mm. seasons and the domination of the English football and trophies as well, you know, hugely impressive, you know, and these are some, some of the sides that we'll look back on as some of the greatest in Premier League history, like right up there. But I just have this sense, like, and I don't like things being too black and white sometimes in football, but it, to use like your scenario, Dan, where he, he leaves tomorrow, part of me thinks that like the very bottom line, um, would be in that situation that it was overall like a failure and it's it seems like you know I almost want to like recoil after saying that in a way because of how much success he has had but like there is one clear it was like Liverpool winning the Premier League say if mm. if we hadn't won the title last season and we we won the Champions League and and Klopp was to you know leave at the end of Klopp's contract ends in 2024 I think you know, and he was to miss out, keep missing out City, like, you know, he's landed other Champions League, um, you know, the, the sixth time we've done that, but there would just be this feeling, like this this missed opportunity in a way, and that it was a little bit incomplete, so. Yeah, I, I was going to say when Tom kind of spoke about Pep's sort of need to win the Champions League with City, which I fully agree, and I fully agree with you, Dave, in that he was brought in essentially to do that, as much as it's not 
you know, set in stone that that's the case and he was brought into continued the domestic success. I think it's kind of an untold secret in football that the reason they brought him in as City was to sort of break that Champions League shackle, if you like. And I think City need that more than Pep needs that. Like, he's already won it at Barcelona, obviously. If Man City are going to be considered on the world stage, which is obviously what they want to be, and they, they are getting there, there's no doubt about that. But even Tom, I imagine, would admit, like, there's some way behind... You know, United's even, you won't like that, but and your Liverpool's of this world in terms of where they sit on a global stage. And the only way you can really start to break through that is by winning Champions League. Like there's no there's no two ways of bad. Like Chelsea the same 10, 15 years ago. They've obviously won two now and their their standing, if you like, in world football will just keep increasing. And it'll have done the same last week when they beat you in that, unfortunately. It's just the way it is. The Champions League around the world is seen as sort of a holy grail and until you've got at least one of them behind you, you know, you're always going to be some way behind the ranks, if you like. Um, it's a difficult one, but we'll, we'll come on to a bit, of a, a bit of a touchy point, if you like. I'll come back to you, Dave, straight away on this. I want to get your thoughts before we get Tom's. Um, the, the, the phrase checkbook manager often gets labelled at Pep. It's not something I'd necessarily go with wholeheartedly because, like I've already said, I do think he's a genius. But, you know, there's no getting away from the fact that he's spent a hell of a lot of money. So we've kind of touched upon it, but, you know, kind of go for gold on this one. Where do you sit on that tag um, and also use the Klopp comparison in the fact that he spent money, but he's always had to sell his best players essentially to do so. So the comparison and the fact is Guardiola the checkbook manager or not? Well, to touch on Klopp first of all, like, you know, he has, you know, the success he's achieved has come from really, I'd say, five signings. Um, above all, Alisson, Van Dijk, Fabinho, Salah, and, and Mane. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you total those up. I'm not going to attempt to do it uh, straight off the bat, but if you, you know, total those up, there's quite a bit of money. And obviously, the, Two of those, you know, probably the two biggest deals in that Alisson and Van Dijk have mm-hmm. come a lot of that money's come from the Coutinho transfer. So I suppose like there was kind of that trade off there. And uh we were just I think we were just fortunate that we still had the kind of attack and firepower without him and could win. Um and could get such a huge amount for him as well because of the, the level he was at. The Guardiola point is really difficult to say. It, it, it's really tricky because it's like how much credit should you give someone when they have what feels like limitless resources. Um, and I know City fans will probably push back against that. And I don't know if Tom will in terms of the, you know, the record amount of money City has spent. I don't think, yeah. I'm not necessarily sure they've got to the 70 million mark with a transfer yet. Um, but it's more just about the volume and the kind of relentless nature of the spending really. So it's, it's difficult to, you don't know how much credit to give. Um, what I will say though is, you know, sometimes it's about kind of using your eyes in a way and just seeing, you can see evidence of the quality of Guardiola's coaching in terms of the games, you know, sometimes teams will play through the City press and City look horribly exposed. But then there's other games where I don't think he, I've ever seen Premier League games so one-sided as some mm. of those games that you see where City are able to win the ball back rapidly. And sometimes they've done it to, you know, 
not just mid-table sides and, and relegation threatened teams, but they've done it to, you know, big six sides as well. Like, I think, didn't they beat Chelsea 6-0 um, at, at one point a couple of seasons ago, for example? So, you know, the quality of coaching, like, let's not mess about with that. I mean, it, it's incredible. And I also think Guardiola deserves quite a lot of credit for the transformation from last se- you know, last season, you know, to the way it ended in in um in Portugal against Leon. Um it almost it felt like it could have potentially been an end point in a way, especially after the disappointment in the league. But the way City struck back and above all the way they sort of evolved as a team, that you know, it looked the start of the season looked like a continuation of um the nineteen twenty season really. Uh as they mm-hmm. They got off to, I think it was something like 12 points from the first eight games, if that that, that springs to mind. But Guardiola then seemed to sort of implement this change where he went to a more pragmatic kind of setup and obviously playing without a striker as well. And he he helped the team evolve and regain the title. And how often do we talk about teams needing to do that to stay at the top? Yeah, I'll let... I'll, I'll come to you, Tom, uh, just to get your final say, really, on, on the checkbook manager sort of situation. For me, I, I heard an argument recently, um, and it was basically about City not really buying failures, which you know you could push back against and say Benjamin Mendy's a £50 million social media guy, in my opinion. So I want to get your opinion on, on that broad sort of anyone outside of City will always come straight back pretty much with checkbook manager, you know, the whole for the older sort of situation. So just just try and basically shut me and Dave up um, and everybody else that thinks that, I suppose. It's hard, isn't it? Because you look at the three jobs he's had on paper or the three senior jobs he had on paper in Barcelona, Bayern Munich and Man City. And all three clubs, he has had the ability to spend money. He has spent a lot of money. Um, and yet, like, I, I completely understand why fans would say it. But the way I look at it is that, and it's it's hard. You can say that that money can't buy you success, and and it can't because we we've seen with with clubs that maybe not to the extent that City have spent, but clubs like like United in recent yeah. years have spent a lot of money and won nothing. And mm-hmm. and we the thing is with City is that we we obviously we spend a lot of money. There's there's no question in that. Um, the way that City's transfers work is that we we spend obviously we buy a lot of players in between sort of forty and sixty million. We've we've never spent more than I think Diaz is our record signing at like sixty two, which again yeah, is still I that, yeah yeah it's still a lot of money to spend on one player. But if he was going out and signing Harry Kane this season for hundred and fifty million quid, Neymar next season for two hundred million quid, and buying these these superstar, ready-made, world-beaters. You look at the players we bought and we, we buy, don't get me wrong, we buy really good players. Ruben Diaz was not a world-beater when we signed him. He was a 23-year-old coming from Benfica. Um, you look at Bernardo Silva, again, a very good player coming in from Monaco, no questioning that. But it's not that if he was just going into the, to the ballroom and going, right, I want you to go and buy me Mbappe. I don't care how much it costs. I want Mbappe in my squad. Mbappe comes in, scores 30 goals, me in the league, then, then fair enough. I understand that side of it. Mm. But spending a lot of money makes his job a hell of a lot easier. 
but he still has an awful lot to do with the players that he brings in. And, and the way he's sort of developed these players from very good players when we've signed them into these world-class talents that we now see. Yes, he's, like I say, I'll keep, and I'll keep saying it, yes, he, he does obviously spend a lot of money. But I don't think you can just say that because he spent this money that, that we are guaranteed success. I don't know if you could give a squad of the, 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 if you gave the same squad to another manager, I'm not sure they would straight away walk the league or win the league with a hundred points or go in a 98, 97 race with Liverpool for the league. I'm not sure they, I'm not sure they would. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's a tough one and I, and I get it. And I, if I was a, if Guardiola was at Liverpool spending the same amount of money in the exact same way, I'd probably say the same thing. And it's yeah. easy to say. But I just think you've got to look at it from the viewpoint that he he's buying very good players, but he's not just buying five world-class stars every single year for 700 million quid and just walking the league as a, as a result. He is still bringing in players that he thinks he can get more out of, that he thinks can develop and that will fit the style that City wants. So... So yeah, it's tough. It is mm. tough, but but yeah, I don't know if that that's probably made no difference to your viewpoints. Any being a Chelsea manager, but yeah, no. as far as I'm, as far as I'm concerned, yeah, he spends a lot, but I, he does it in the in the right sort of way, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I, I'll, I think, I'll leave it at that. I, I, I agree with that's that. Valid. It's good. Yeah, I, I'm just gonna. I just want to say, like, um, in terms of your point about you know buying like a, an Mbappe, I think you know. Generally, these days, it seems to be the case that it's very rare for the very best players in the world to, to go between clubs. Um, yeah. But, you know, having said that, I take your point about improving players. Like, you look at the Definitely. City team, the way some of the players have sort of evolved and, and stuff, and, you know, they aren't like... A lot of the players aren't coming in really at, at world-class status, but, you know, they're kind of reaching that, that level within a couple of years at City, really. And even, you know, you mentioned, like, Gundogan earlier, you know, always been a, a really good player, like, since the Dortmund days. But the level, you know, he's been at this season and sort of maybe the more attacking role he's taken on, like, that's unlocked, like, another level out of him. And, you know, it's probably one example of many, really, from him to go to sort of being a very good player as he was to someone who is in the discussion to be the best player in the league over over the course of the season. So, uh, yeah, I think um, the way managers improve and, and develop players is kind of another huge market of, of how good they are as well. Um, so mm. you, your point your point is valid there, Sam. Yeah, I, I just want to echo that. I thought it was, it, it certainly, I wouldn't say it changed my mind, but definitely also my viewpoint on it a lot because you're so right in terms of picking up on, and it's something both managers do very well because, you know, all right, Allison was probably the exception in terms of he was kind of already being recognised as amongst the elite in his position when we signed him. But Van Dyke, I mean, he was at Southampton. Everyone kind of knew he was good, but nobody expected him to be as good as he turned out to be for Liverpool. And the same could be said for a lot of the City players. You know, you look at De Bruyne and Salah for Liverpool point of view, both rejected at Chelsea and both just next level for the clubs now. So, yeah, I think in terms of improving players, I think Klopp and Guardiola are kind of on a par, if I'm dead honest. I couldn't really split them. But on the checkbook manager sort of situation, 
you've made some excellent points, I think, in terms of Guardiola there. I think he, he doesn't sign ready-made superstars. He might do this summer. You mentioned Harry Kane. We don't know what's going to happen there yet, but he generally hasn't bought kind of the players that are going to instantly come in and instantly make them win the league. Like it's touched on Diaz. He's been a massive difference and we're going to touch on Diaz a lot more in a minute. But just to finish off the Klopp versus Guardiola sort of section, we're going to quickly touch upon some of the head-to-head clashes literally between the two clubs in recent years. Um, we're going to hopefully ignore, I think it was the 5-0 at the Etihad a few years ago when Mane got sent off. And even this season's at the Anfield, if you want, we can ignore that. But I'll come back to you, Tom. Any matches that stand out, I suppose, and any matches that make you even more compelled to believe that Guardiola is the better manager? To be honest, our record against you you guys isn't great, is it? We, we, no. we can't beat around the bush. Liverpool have, have historically been... Can you call them a bogey team for City when they've been better than us for so many years? I don't think you can. <laughs> but we, yeah, like I say, we've we've not... Obviously, we, we had the big win at Anfield earlier this season, but I'm very much of the belief that throughout COVID, home and away just isn't a thing and it hasn't been a no. thing. And... It, it, it's great on our front to finally end that sort of curse of having not won at Anfield since Nicholas and Elka scored the winner about 20 years ago, whatever it was. And it's great to get that sort of, um, get over that that um, that mental side of we can't win at this ground. But I really do believe that Liverpool would not have lost, what was it, six games and at home in a row or whatever yeah. it was that you yeah. lost. You would not have lost six games at home in a row with fans in the ground. It would not have happened. I maintain it for the two clubs for me who were hit hardest by the lack of fans were Liverpool and Sheffield United. So I think Sheffield United, their crowd was one of them, or their sort of fan base, and how difficult Bramall Lane was to go to last year, as opposed to this year, I think hit them massively. And obviously, they didn't play well, that didn't help. Mm. But on that point, but yeah, I think we've had some, there's been some, uh, some memorable sort of games against you over the years obviously there was the the five nil at the Etihad which which was great and like but the red card sort of ruined the game as a contest yeah very early on um and then yeah like I said the, the four one this year I was great to see but I, I think I'll, I'll remember that as being the game where where Foden sort of announced himself as the the superstar that he is because we'd seen some some decent performances from Foden. Don't get me wrong, he hadn't played badly before that game. He's played well for us throughout the whole season. But that was the first time I'd watched him and gone, yeah, he is starting eleven every week, big games. We want Phil Foden on the pitch. And I think that'd be the game that I'd sort of I'd look back to for that reason alone. And that he he was a ten out of ten on on the on the night there, and and um, I think that was sort of the performance that he needed as much as we wanted to see it to sort of to get him that that confidence that he is he is a Manchester City starter, and that for as long as uh, he wants to be, he will be in around that starting team. Yeah, he was outstanding. I think from a Liverpool point of view, we'd probably hark back to the Champions League. Um, the two-legged ties, I say both, and especially the Anfield one, I thought we were obviously far superior on the night. The Etihad second leg was a bit more nervy until Salah went through and kind of ended it. But yeah, um, been some really good games actually over the years, and they've kind of been decided by either missed penalties on your behalf or millimetres on ours. 
So pretty much, pretty much been, the best um, games, pretty much the best games in the Premier League, like the best spectacle in English football, yeah. really. Two attacking teams going at each other, and I will say I think Klopp pretty much Guardiola's kryptonite in many, many ways. Not only you know competing against each other, but in terms of the way they manage, I think they're very disparate in sort of styles. So. So we will move on. Um, we'll move on to a man already mentioned in this um, and kind of our last comparison of the episode um, between Ruben Diaz and Virgil van Dijk, hopefully the returning Virgil van Dijk. Um, so Diaz has already won the Football Writers Association Player of the Year Award and could win the PFA Player of the Year Award before, well, not long, I imagine it'll be announced pretty soon. Um and almost, I'm going to ask Tom about the impact he's had because there's been some conjecture in a way about his impact maybe wasn't as great as people made out as times this season. Um, and also, we're going to touch on the comparison to Van Dijk, which I'll get Dave's opinion on as well. But I'll come to you first, Tom. Um, Ruben Diaz, how highly do you rate him and how much has he changed the City defence? Yeah, I think he's incredible. Um, I think... The, the big reason that we gave last season, or the big reason that a lot of City fans gave for our struggles was was obviously our defence, the fact that, that Laporte had his season ended early in obviously quite similar circumstances to to the way that, that Van Dyke did. I mean, not same in the way that, that the injuries were, were occurred, but early in the season, you lose your best centre-half. It was always going to be a slog from there, and we never really recovered from that, and we thought... Laporte back fit this season. If we can get an half decent centre half alongside him, then we we've got a decent pairing and and we'll be we'll sort of we'll be okay and and Laporte can marshal that defence and and um, we will be back in the title race and I think we we were heavily linked with Cooley Barley and that fell mm. through and then that the Kounde from uh, from a Sevilla was then yeah. the next name that was linked and. We had a couple couple of others thrown in the mix. Obviously, we picked up Ake and it was like, will we pick up another centre-half? Will Ake be the one that we'll use? And, and Diaz sort of came really late in the transfer window or towards the back end of, of our pl- planning for the season. And, and obviously, we've seen little bits of him, but obviously only playing in, in Portugal. We've not seen a massive amount of him, only young. And he came in and sort of, from the very, very get-go, made it clear that, that he was going to be the main man in that back four, and and obviously he's pushed, he's pushed. Le, well, he's not pushed Laporte out specifically, but his presence has has as well as obviously him being incredible has reinstilled so much confidence in John Stones and turned him back mm. into a player that we didn't think we'd ever see at City again. I didn't think we'd see John Stones at City at the end of the transfer window. Anyway, I thought he'd go. I thought we'd we'd see him, and I think if we'd have if we'd have got. 20 million quid for him in the, in the summer, 15 million quid for him. I think a lot of City fans would have would have been happy with that to see a little bit of the money recouped, see him move on to another club where he could maybe find a little bit of form and put himself in the the um, outer plans for an England place. And he's now going to the Euros as pretty much an assured starter. And that is through his hard work, but through the fact that, that Diaz is just this, this rock at the back that you can mm. see other players just gain so much confidence from having him around. Um, and, yeah, can you put him on on comparison with Van Dijk? I don't think he's 
he's at a Van Dyke level just yet. I don't I still think I still maintain that Van Dyke is, is the best centre back in the world. And I hope for 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 his sake and, and for your guys' sake that he comes back from this injury in the same sort of vein of form that, that he had before he before he picked it up because it'd be it'd be a real shame for him to struggle or to struggle to to hit those heights again because he was for me, robbed of the Ballon d'Or the year that, that Messi won it. I think he he was the best centre-back in the world. He was Liverpool's best player and they won the Champions League. And I couldn't see how anyone else could win the award that year. Um, and I don't I don't think Diaz is quite there, but he's 23 years old. 20, is he 23, 24 years old, whatever yeah. he is? And he's, he, he looks like he's finally this, this company replacement that we've been pining over, sort of. I mean, not even since company left, but since company's um, final couple of seasons, he, he obviously re-hit form in, in the year that we picked you guys to the title. But mm. before then, we'd been thinking, right, company's struggling with injuries. We need someone in as a long-term replacement. And and Diaz is the man to do that. And I think he, he should, for me, win the PFA Player of the Year award. Um, in that he has been, again, for me, the the most important player. He's been our best player, but he's also been the most important player because I think without signing Diaz, would we have won the league this year? Maybe. Would we have won it at a canter like we did? Definitely not. So mm. he has had the impact that Van Dijk had on that front that he came in. And and without him, without Van Dijk coming to Liverpool, Liverpool, I don't think would have won the league. Uh, without Diaz coming to City, I don't... We, like I say, we, we have a we have a better squad than Liverpool do, and we yeah. probably would have been in the mix, but we wouldn't have been anywhere near the the levels that we've hit this season. So, yeah, he's he's a he's an incredible player. He's one that I think could be a future Man City captain in the near future as well. Um, I think he he has those those leadership qualities. He just looks like you even look at the you look at the pitches after the Champions League final. He's dragging Zinchenko up off the floor and consoling him and. He's 23 years old and just lost his first Champions League final. He's got every right to be feeling, well, not feeling sorry for himself, but upset on the pitch and sit there disappointed in himself. But he's not, while all these other players are obviously distraught at the result, he's he's putting on this sort of, this brave face and, and consoling these players. And at his age, he just seems a man beyond his years, in both as a, as a footballer, but with that mental side of it, which is why I can see him, I, I can see him being a Manchester City captain in the future. And if he can stay at this level, he could be a player that we could talk about as, as one of the Premier League all-time greats. If he stays at Manchester City, you're looking at someone for me who has the ability with his mindset and his ability as a footballer to be talked about alongside the likes of your Terry's, your Vidic's, your Ferdinand's of the world by the time his his career comes to an end. So it really is a um, a very pro, he's a very promising player, but one who is already at the top of his game. Yeah, I, I think the age is a very, very poignant point to bring up. Like, it's easy to forget. I think I've just checked, he's 24, um, and he is definitely playing beyond his years, especially as centre back. They tend to mature and get better. Like, we've seen Van Dyke kind of hit his peak since sort of reaching 26. You know, nobody really knew a lot about him before that, but what an exceptional footballer. And the same could be said for Diaz. I think he's already. And I agree, I think he probably should be player of the year this season. Um, one thing I will say, I think he's almost a victim of the fact that City were already very good when he came in. Like, we look at Van Dijk as almost 
the, the player, alongside a couple of others, like Dave mentioned, Allison before, who transformed the whole Liverpool defence, where City had already won the league and he'd already dominated the league at that point, you know. But Van Dijk kind of made everything a reality for us, in a way, along with, obviously, Klopp himself and, and others. But Van Dijk was certainly sort of the bedrock, the bedrock of that, if you like. Um, the one thing I, I do want to touch upon, which I think is another really good point, and I get Dave's opinion on this as well, but you mentioned Diaz improving the likes of Stones. That, for me, is the biggest thing that Liverpool will potentially lack this year with Van Dijk being missing. Because Joe Gomez is a very good footballer, as is Joel Matip. He's an exceptional footballer. But both of them are tenfold when Van Dijk's alongside them. He just talks them through the game and makes them so much more confident. And without him there, even them two playing alongside each other wouldn't have been the same. Like Van Dijk is the reason those are very good, if you like, as well as them having all the attributes, you know what I mean? But Van Dijk is so integral to, to Robertson and Trent as well in the same breath, like especially Robertson being on the same side. But I will I will get you in on it, Dave. Um, everything Tom touched upon on Diaz as well, but also the comparison with Van Dijk. Well, on the Van Dijk comparison, you know, you've I think you've pretty much both covered all the bases, really. Um, I mean, for me, you know, I rate Van Dijk like extremely highly in that. I think if he, it's a big if, obviously, but if he recaptures his levels from before his injury when he comes back, I think he could end up going down as the highest quality centre back in Premier League history. Um, and you know, he's the best defender in the world as well. So. It's, it's no slight against Diaz to say that I don't think he's at that level yet, but you know he, he is obviously a young player as well, so they are at different stages of their career, so it's kind of hard to compare in that way, just as it is hard to compare their impact given the different stages the two teams were at when they came in. But I think the Stones point is, as you said, very important. You know, in terms of actually Diaz's level, I agree as well that he'd be a deserving winner of the award. And, you know, for parts of the season, City were absolutely exceptional defensively. And he was at the heart mm. of that, you know, there's no denying it. And I just think he's like a proper warrior of a defender as well, like really strong in the air, a leader as well. You know, I've, you know, a lot of the people who, the journalists who go to the Man City games behind closed doors have, you know, been taken aback by how, how vocal he is. Um, and you've, you know, that's probably crucial to how much he's helped Stones. And there's also plenty of like heroic interventions as well. I think probably the, the best example of that was the, the second leg of the semi-final yeah. against against PSG. So, you know, he is a very, very good player and would be a deserving winner if he was to, to take both of those awards, which I don't think has happened for a few years as well. So it would be uh, kind of momentous. Yeah, he, he likes uh, he likes a block, doesn't he? He likes getting in the way of stuff. I'll give him that. That second leg, like you say, he was everywhere. Fair play. He was absolutely everywhere. Um, we'll move on now. Um, we'll stop comparing City and Liverpool for a minute. Um, and we'll move on to where can we, Tom hopefully, well, potentially touched upon one signing a little earlier on, potentially inadvertently. But, you know, Dave mentioned the fact that City have kind of played about a striker all season, um, which you could argue Liverpool have done with Firmino for quite some time, to be honest. Um, but where does where do you think that City needs to strengthen in the summer? Um, you've kind of addressed the weakness in Diaz, I suppose, in the defence. Um so this time around, obviously, Aguero's left. Um, I think there's some Fernandinho debate going on over his contract. I'm not quite sure where that's at. But, um, yeah, where do you need to 
address, I suppose, Tom, in order to try and retain the title? Um, it's hard, isn't it? Because we have got such a good squad and we, we won the league this year relatively easily. Playing no, you did, yeah. You without did, yeah. a striker for the majority of the season. And the one thing that I, I hate with any football team who have won the league is getting complacent because we've seen it so often that teams have have won the league and think, you know what, we don't really need to, to make any signings or improve this squad in the summer. And then they come out the next season against teams who have improved and they find themselves struggling. And we had it, we've had it a couple of times. We had it the first year we won the league in 2011. We went out in the summer and Chelsea signed Hazard, United signed Van Persie. And I think we signed Jack Rodwell, Mike Con, and like a couple, Javi Garcia or something like that. Like we didn't make any signings that were that were significant. And it's hard because we, there's rumours that Bernardo Silva may be surplus to requirements based on the way Guardiola is thinking of changing things. And we don't know how City are going to line up next season. But I do think if we didn't go out and sign, a striker and we, we need to replace Aguero. We need to we need to know that we've got somebody in the squad who in those games where playing with a false nine just isn't gonna work. We need to know that we've got a striker that who who can score goals and Gabriel Jesus for me has had plenty of opportunities to establish himself as a number one striker at City and he's not done that. And I think he's better, again, as, as a winger for me. I think he's much more effective playing off the right-hand side. And But I, what I don't want is for us to go out and sign um, a striker who has done all right in, like, Holland or something and, and think they could come in and replace Aguero because we need to sign a, an established goal scorer. And I think, for me, the only, the only two names who should be in the conversation is Harry Kane and Erling Haaland. And I think they will be the two names at the top of the... The, um, the conversations in the boardroom about who we will be signing this summer. I'd be very surprised if we didn't go out and spend a lot of money on a striker. Um, but who, who that will be remains to be seen. Aside from that, I think uh, a left-back, as much as I love Zinchenko, uh, he was really caught out in that Champions League final, I think. Benjamin Mendy, like you said earlier, is a £60 million social media guy. He should not be anywhere near that squad next season. He's had... Again, I feel sorry for him with the injuries he's had. He's yeah. had two sort of season-ending injuries, but he's not recovered from them. He's been given plenty of ample opportunities to prove that he's he is still the this promising left back that we'd signed from Monaco at the time. And we need that. We don't want any sort of debates about who will be starting the season in that role. I think Kyle Walker may sort of reduce minutes with Cancelo playing more on the right-hand side if he's happy at City. Again, there's talks that he might be on his way out. So it'll be interesting to see who leaves first. But mm. I think a left-back and a striker are the two obvious areas for improvement. Uh, if Fernandinho goes, maybe a new holding midfielder. Um, we've got some some talent coming through sort of the academy ranks in that regard, whether or not Guardiola would want to promote them straight into the first team for significant minutes, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, a striker for sure, a left-back as a second necessity, and then maybe a holding midfielder if if it comes to it. I think you might be breaking that £62 million record if you go and get Haaland yeah. or Kane. I mean, yeah. that's in massive danger. Um, but again, I, I'd, probably have to, I'd probably have to agree, I think. 
you know, as much as, you know, kind of obscure strikers who've done all right in Holland, the kind of Liverpool speciality, I don't see City going down that line. I think City, I, I, I see the Harry Kane one as, a, as an imminent possibility, to be honest, providing he still wants to leave Tottenham, uh, depending on what happens with their manager situation, probably. Um, I'll, come, I'll come straight back, Tom, because um, obviously as the reigning Premier League title holders, um, who do you see as the main threat to that next season? Do you see Liverpool coming straight back, you know, hopefully with a full squad? Um, or, you know, again, you're, you're kind of kryptonite, certainly of late Chelsea. Do you think them, they'll improve again and, and get stronger under Tuchel? Or, alternatively, probably the worst of the three scenarios, Manchester United? I think, take your pick for me. Um, I think if, you, if we go in now with the current squads, the current managers, if we were starting the league tomorrow... Yeah, I'd have Chelsea as sort of our main, our main rival, uh, yeah. only on the basis that we know what Chelsea have got with Tuchel. We know that they are going to be a very difficult team to beat. We know the squad. I think I, I'm going to make a roll call and say I think Werner's going to have a good season next season. I've been really struggled this year. Um, with Liverpool, if Van Dijk can come back from his injury in the way that Liverpool fans will hope he does, in the way that Premier League fans will hope he does then they'll be there or thereabouts again. I think that was the, the real reason that you struggled so much this season. Um, and uh, uh, with United, they I don't think they look like a team who were a second-place Premier League team this year. I think they were no. sort of helped by the fact that none of the teams around them really got into any sort of... or put together any significant runs of form. Um, but again, United pick up... A, a decent centre-half to go alongside Maguire, sort out the keeper situation ahead of the season so they know who the number one is and bring in a Jalen Sancho. And, and they're not they're not a million miles away either. So it really is. And, and, I, and I genuinely hope that next season is a close title race mm. because as good as it's been us winning the league this year and especially from where we were in October, November time, to then win the league at Canter was, was great. But... You really want to see four, three, four teams competing for the league and it one tailing off in, in March and then three teams fighting it out until sort of the finish line. That is what, as a fan, obviously you want your team to be the team to come out victorious yeah. at the end of it. But I feel like the Premier League, with the exception of the 98-97 um, the points in the 2018 season between mm. us and yourselves, I don't think we've had many title races. We've not had many many seasons in recent history that have gone down to the final day or that have gone down to the final two or three days so that's what you want next season um, I, I think we will rightfully go into the season as favourites yeah um, I think then it'll be sort of Chelsea Liverpool will be the will be the second favourites and, and United slightly further adrift but and then you, you never know you could even I mean it's it's rogue and it's it's highly unlikely if Spurs keep all the Kane, bring in Conte and make a couple of signings, you, you just never know with these teams. No. These are teams that are, are one or two signings and a decent manager away from being able to compete with the teams at the top. And you just don't know. But yeah, I'd, I'd say if, if I was pushed now, I'd, I'd say that Chelsea are just edging Liverpool. Um, but yeah, mm. by, the, by the time the, the summer's out, I'm sure I'd have a completely different outlook on that. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I think certainly given what's gone on in the past sort of month with City and Chelsea, I think that's very much a fair assessment. I will bring you in on this, Dave. And Tom 
just mentioned the point sort of situation there, and obviously the, the very close title race Southern City had. Um, I just don't see, we don't know about Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea yet. They could be capable of going 95 points plus. I don't think Man United are. I think even with the players and the positions Tom mentioned in terms of they could strengthen, I just don't see how Ole Gunnar Solskjaer puts together a side that goes and gets 95, 96, etc. points. I just, just can't see And I think we're in for a title race next season. I think we're in for a very high-quality title race. So I wanted to get your thoughts, Dave, on that, really. Well, that's my reservation with United, too. I think they could build a team capable of winning the title with um, Sancho. There are talks for him. They had mm. another really good centre-back there. And then, you know, a high-quality midfielder. I think that you add those pieces to that team capable of winning a league title. But you mm. need, obviously, in the dugout as well. I'm not sure they quite have that. Um, you know, looking at the title race, I think there's one missing piece at Chelsea and it's having a clinical striker. And I know Tom said that he thinks Werner will have a really good season um, next year. I don't think he's necessarily going to be given the chance to kind of go again. I think Chelsea are going to go out and, and get a really, you know, a really clinical number nine, really. Um, I don't think money isn't necessarily too much of an object for them. So I wouldn't be surprised to see um, Haaland end up there. And then maybe Werner occupying a slightly different role in the side. Um, if they do that, then I think, you know, they are that because the only thing that was that really stood out to you as a weakness when you watch Chelsea was the amount of chances that they wasted. But if they brought in someone of that calibre, then I think they are, they're, they're certainly capable of doing it. And I agree. I think it has, obviously, there's still a somewhere ahead, but it has all the ingredients to be a three team classic title race, really. Um, and it's tricky to make a call on the points, Sally, um, because whilst the quality of, of these sides is is so high, um, these you know, obviously we've talked before about Klopp and Pep sort of building some of the best teams in Premier League history, really. Also, like the quality of the sort of kind of upper mid table teams, especially in the first half of last season, was really good as well, and some of them are operating really smartly so they'll be able to you know have a say as well and, and take points off uh city liverpool and chelsea so it is very it's very tricky to make a call um on what's going to be required um but yeah i don't think it's going to be a season where any team is able to run away with it as we saw in 17 18 19 20 and and this season um i think all three teams are going to be pushing each other on yeah, it's it's definitely got all the makings, all the hallmarks of a of a compelling one. I certainly hope so because this season was difficult at times, not just because of Liverpool's issues, but the whole no fan situation. I think at times made football quite difficult. But just want to say thanks to Tom, and um, I will give you the obligatory opportunity to pitch anything, just generally a Twitter if you want to, but we will put that in the bio, etc. As well. So yeah, but big thanks anyway. Yeah, um, no, nothing. Like I say, nothing really to pitch. I don't think your listeners are going to be too keen to go and read my uh, my Manchester City work. So, so yeah, stick me Twitter in the description. We'll see if anyone fancies coming and giving us a follow. I'm, I try to be as, as impartial as I can um, unless I've had a drink and City are losing a Champions League final, <laughs> in which case I'm, <laughs> I'm, a little, I'm a little bit different. But no, yeah, it's been nice. It's been good to come on and chat, guys. And uh, yeah, yeah, we've uh, we've had quite a 
this would probably be the most reasonable discussion between City and Liverpool fans that you'll hear on any podcast this week. So, yeah, it's been good. Thank you for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. I thought that as well. I thought you were very balanced. I must admit, I had I came in all guns blazing, thinking we were going to get at it. But no, I, I couldn't argue with a lot of what you said. <laughs> Fair play. Um, I'll let you slag him off, Dave, instead. No, I think um, I echo what you say, to be honest, Dan. And I think based on how this episode's gone, I'd be interested to see if we could maybe get a United fan or a City fan on for another a podcast before you know, the season starts and kind of have a similar discussion in a way. But yeah, obviously we couldn't solve, obviously solve the uh, club versus Pep debate. But I think we had the, yeah, we did have quite a good uh, discussion about it. So I enjoyed it, yeah. Yeah, people can make their own minds up as to who won that. Um, I'm, I'm not going to give a definitive answer, even though probably could and should. But no, Jenny, that is all we've got time for. And we will be back next week for what will be episode 21. Thank you very much. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts.